Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to talk about a skincare line I've been using. We all know that lines and wrinkles are a normal part of aging, and as I'm moving toward my mid-40s, I'm trying to age as gracefully as possible, so I started to consider Botox. Not wanting to make that financial commitment, I started to look into alternative options and found Frownies Facial Patches. I've been personally using Frownies Facial Patches, their apple serum and under-eye gels for about a year. I wear the facial patches while I sleep. They hold your facial muscles in place and train them to lie in a smooth, flat position. I started wearing them five nights a week and have since transitioned to using them once or twice a week for maintenance. I've noticed a big reduction in my forehead lines, and I use their apple serum and under eye patches to target other facial lines. If you want to try them out, just use a link in our show notes and get 10% off, or just use our code CRIME10. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, we are a weekly true crime podcast. Every Sunday, we come out with a new episode and uh, bonus episodes for our patrons. So uh, check that out for sure. But um, yeah, so far, haven't missed a week. We have not. Nito, what is this? Like episode 103, something like that? 102, I believe. 102, 103, something like that. Who's so thanks. counting? Yeah, who is? So let's uh, thanks thanks for being along for the ride. We really appreciate it. Um, before we get into the, uh, the sad story, we'd like to talk about a couple things that happened this week. Um, so number one, I was driving around with our daughter, and we were just talking about things, and you know, she's a chatterbox, and she's like, you know, we, we live down here in Florida, and she's like, um, I like Florida, but there's, you know, some things I would change about it. And I was like, okay, well, what would you change? And she's like, you know, obviously the weather is hot a long time and this and that and whatever. She's like, you know, I wish there were like weren't any murders. And she's like, oh, but then you guys wouldn't have the podcast. So I guess murders can stay. And I'm like, no, oh no, God. no, sweetie. <laughs> That's okay. We don't want murders to happen. Yeah. We will forsake people being alive yeah. for our podcast. Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's true. <laughs> she's, she's the sweetest person. So she wouldn't wish ill will on anybody. No, no. So that was that was really sweet of her. And she's like, I don't know why I just said that. Like, she's not like young, young. She's middle school. So it's uh, so she, it was pretty funny. Uh, then another story I wanted, so I wrote these down. I'm like, I got to make sure to tell the folks. Um, you guys are the folks. So the other thing, Allison's been on this like crazy kick of having Blizzard Sunday. Yeah, bl- it, today is Blizzard Sunday. You actually just said that before we even got on. I was like, so. and don't you forget it. I know you have your fantasy football draft with your friends, but you're going to have to take your happy ass <laughs> over to Dairy Queen and get us our blizzards and pop them in the freezer so that we can enjoy them. So there's a crazy scenario (laughs) that could happen besides that one. I'm not getting in my car. That's what it was. I'm surprised you got it. I'm surprised you actually understood where I was going with this. And once again, it's Sunday and I'm like, I'm not putting sunscreen on my face. I'm not going outside. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going outside. I mean, that happens every, yeah, especially in the summer in Florida. Oh, my God. It's so damn hot. We took a three and a half mile walk yesterday, and it was atrocious. It wasn't too bad. I mean, I was soaking wet. Probably all the blizzards. Yeah, it's just p- coming out of my pores. Yeah, so now she's she's expecting blizzards every Sunday. Who is the she you're talking about? This one, the uh, the lady of the, ho- the the podcast over here. <laughs> the lady of the manor. She's the lady of the podcast. And so I, I went out of town last week. I had a, a show for work. And I was in Biloxi, Mississippi, a beautiful town. Not really. So um, anyways, I was there and you had dinner for one night, dinner for another night. I came home. We talked about stuff. And you're like, oh, and um, Wednesday we had Dairy Queen. (laughs) No, that's not true. It was Thursday. Thursday. And number two, I sent you a selfie of me and Poppy. And I was like, don't zoom in on my face because you'll see chocolate. Because I did. I saw chocolate around my mouth. I was like, that's cute. That was the clue. Yeah. And then I say, when the cat's away, the mouse doesn't cook or something (laughs) like that. Even 
even though I had cooked. Well, yeah, I thought you were joking because you did cook earlier. And yeah, I, like, I made oh. like this gnocchi pasta bake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were like, that, and then we were talking about things and you're like, yeah, we did Dairy Queen for one of the nights for dinner. <laughs> we and did. I was like, oh, okay, like burgers. And she's like, no, no, we just did blizzards. Yep. I was like, just blizzards for everybody. All three of you had a blizzard. And she's like, yep. That was our dinner. And usually Allison gets a medium blizzard, but what size? No, it get? was a medium. Oh, it was. Okay. Normally oh, no, I get you, a small. Yeah, you get a small. This one was a medium. Yeah, I went for the big guns. Yeah. So what happened was Reese and I were watching Gilmore Girls, of course, and they were eating ice cream. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want ice cream so bad. That was on Wednesday. And I was like, oh, I could eat my weight in ice cream right now. And I may have been a little hormonal. Definitely. And so the next day at work, I'm like, I don't want that pasta bake tonight. <laughs> and so I text Cameron at school. I'm like, what do you feel about blizzards for dinner? And he was like, yes. <laughs> and our daughter really can't check her phone at school. So I didn't even bother. I know what she likes. So it was a torrential downpour as I'm driving home from work. I'm in the Dairy Queen drive through I'm balancing these three blizzards on my lap on the way home. I mean, the back roads are flooded. Those suckers got into the freezer and it was the best dinner I've ever had. Choco brownie extreme with extra brownie pieces. Oh, yeah. Ever since we've uh, you know, I introduced the kids to extras, like everybody gets an oh, extra now. Oh, so good. I think the kids are big on the M&M and Butterfinger with extra Butterfinger. Reese's um, new one is Reese's Pieces and Butterfingers. Yeah. Extra Butterfinger. Yeah. extra Always extra Butterfinger. Oh, so good. Go ahead. And we're not even, there's no, no ads for, I mean, Dairy Queen doesn't give a crap about us, so whatever. But um, yeah, that, that's been kind of our week so far. And I'll remind you, I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. That's so. a great point. I meant hmm. to mention that. So this is, this registered dietitian took her kids and had blizzards for, hey, but you know what? That's okay. I'm not saying you're a bad mother. It was a complete meal. Hey. There was chocolates. Lots of there protein. There was brownies. I'm sure there's protein in there somewhere. There's yeah. probably real milk somewhere in there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's not a lot of it, but that's okay. Well, it is ice cream. Yeah. It's made with milk and cream. Do they call it ice cream? Do you know for a fact they call it ice cream at what Dairy What the hell cream? do you think it is? Um, dairy product, probably. No, it's delicious. Creamy, I think they call it creamy dairy product. <laughs> creamy dairy product. <laughs> Fit for human consumption. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uh, besides that, want to say uh, welcome. Um, oh, no, I do that at the end of the show. Yeah, Mike. I don't know where the hell you are right okay. now. If you become a patron, I'm going to say your name next week. Yes. And if you Well, well no, we say it at the end of the show. I know. But oh. I'm saying for the next one. Okay. Okay. So let me get out of my own way here. Anything else? No, I think I'm ready to do this. Okay. So let's get right into this. So this is the murder of Adrian Lee Reynolds, and this is a listener suggestion from Samantha. So thank you so much. So Adrian Lee Reynolds was born on September 12th, 1988 in El Dorado, Arkansas, to her birth mother, who was only 16 years old at the time. This is Carolyn. And Carolyn's mom, Beverly, and grandfather th through marriage, which is Tony Reynolds. So um, Tony was not... Carolyn's father, it, her her mom just married him. So obviously, you know, being sixteen year old, sixteen years old is not an ideal age to have a baby. So she wasn't ready to do that. So her mom and Tony adopted Adrian. So basically, she was living like Carolyn, her mother's sister, you could say. So in 1992, when Adrian was three, Beverly and Tony divorced, but Tony maintained his relationship with Adrian. He continued to make visits and child support payments. In 1995, Beverly, Carolyn, and Adrian moved to Longview, Texas. Despite the distance, Tony maintained he maintained he was a maintained fixture in Adrian's life. So even though he was living in a different state, he still kept in touch with her. It's cool, respectable. Yeah. So as Carolyn entered adulthood, she herself got married. She had another child. At this point, she decided she wanted to take Adrian back into her life. 
she did. Now that she's a little bit older mm-hmm. and yeah, ready respond- to responsible. Yeah. She decided, you know, she was going to do that, but it wasn't a very stable household. So she ended up getting divorced. She got remarried and she was, you know, having trouble raising Adrian. Adrian was acting out. It was a difficult living situation. So by age 12, she was, you know, Adrian was facing multiple assault charges. She had to stay in rehab. So issues within the house continued, and in 2003, the state of Texas removed Adrian from Carolyn's care. And not wanting to place Adrian in the foster system, Carolyn reached out to Tony, who had relocated from Arkansas back to his home state of Illinois. He was living in East Moline. So she reached out, and she's like, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble taking care of Adrian. She's, you know, proving to be a lot of a handful for me. So Tony agreed to take Adrian at that point. So Since in the, he was still, you know, very much involved and mm-hmm. uh, likely loved her. Yeah, and you can basically say he was a, her grandfather because he was. Mm-hmm. So Tony had married his high school sweetheart. This is Joanne. She was herself was the mother of two boys. They decided to move 14-year-old Adrian to live with them, and she entered into Glenville Middle School. The new living situation was very tumultuous. Adrian struggled to get through the school year, Every day was basically a battle. Adrian wanted desperately to move back to Texas to be with her mother. She did ultimately go back. They're like, okay, let's try it again. It was very short-lived. Carolyn and Adrian could not see eye to eye. They were constantly butting heads. So after only four months, she came back to Tony and Joanne's house in house in East Moline. So this is November of 2004, and Adrian is almost 16 years old at this point. So taking Adrian's behavioral issues into account, Tony and Joanne decided to enroll her into what was called the Black Hawk Outreach Center. So they basically just wanted her to get through school, get her GED. She hated school, point blank. Yeah, you got to finish at least high school. Right. And, you know, school systems aren't for everybody. It's very structured. Sure. You're expected to sit through seven hours in a desk and, you know, do what you're told it just, you know, some people just don't like that. Listen to subjects you don't care about. It's like, what am I even doing here? Like, I'm not going to use any of this science in real life or any of this. Maybe some of the math, as long as you get algebra in, I think you're pretty good. Right. But yeah, it's I, I get it. You know, school isn't, shouldn't be for everybody. Yeah, I get that too. So ultimately what Adrian wanted to do was she wanted to enter the U.S. Marine Corps. And this, so basically this Black Hawk Outreach Center is an alternative high school that helps teens who struggle at traditional schools. So Adrian, in the meantime, also got a job. She was working at the local Checkers fast food restaurant. She was known there to be very hardworking and reliable. And the military is actually a great idea for somebody like her who doesn't yeah. really know what she wants, you know, kind of in between and doesn't feel part of something. Whereas like the military, like you are part of that. Mm-hmm. Agree. A hundred percent. So Adrian was considered um, to be beautiful, charismatic, loyal, protective. She was fun-loving. Joanne remembers that she loved to hear her stepdaughter sing. She did admit sometimes that the singing got a little excessive, like she was always <laughs> singing. Um, she said that, you know, she ultimately really started to enjoy her time with Adrian. They were growing together, learning to live in the same household cohesively. Fin- finally. Yes. Because you know how it is. Anytime... The dynamics of the house are disrupted. It takes time to get used to it. I say people change completely like every 10 years. So, you know, you, hopefully you, you change together and it sounds like they were starting to. Right. And obviously this is short lived. She's really just coming there and settling back in. So everyone's getting into their routines or starting to learn to live together. 
And again, you know, Adrienne just continued to love to sing. She would spend hours preparing for her school talent show. She was such a talented singer that Joanne wasn't sometimes able to distinguish if it was Adrienne singing or if she was listening to the radio. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was very good. Like, ultimately, she was one of those people that probably would have gone on to, like, be an American Idol or something like that. Mm. So Tony and Joanne described Adrian as spunky and full of life. And it sounds like obviously she was somebody that beat to her own drum. She wasn't just one that like, this is what you do. You do it. And like she wanted to fight back. Yeah. So as Adrian started school, like most teenagers, she desperately wanted to make friends and fit in. I mean, isn't that what all teenagers want? That's what human life is about. Mm -hmm. And it's it's absolutely necessary to have at least one friend you can count on. Absolutely. I mean, I was even just watching the new Sex and the City show uh, just like that. And like Miranda was starting at a job and like she's sitting down awkwardly with her salad she's like oh can i sit with you guys even as adults it's we like high school in. yeah exactly. and it's so hard as an adult but that's that's besides the point mm-hmm. but yeah so make your friends while you can right so kids at school referred to her as texas because of her cute little southern accent there she met a boy this was 17 year old Corey gregory the two began spending time together they were eventually <clears throat> at one point talking on the phone for up to four to five hours at a time so obviously they had a lot in common Adrian also began to form friendships with other females. One was Corey's close friend. This is 16-year-old Sarah Kolb. So when Tony met Sarah, he was not impressed. So Tony obviously is Adrian's dad. He did not get a good feeling from Sarah. It sounds like initially it was all just looks-based, which I personally don't feel like you should just solely base your opinion of somebody on their looks. Because I disagree completely. I look at everybody and I think I'm not going to like you at all because you're ugly. Yeah, right. I'm just kidding. That's not true at all. So wait, these all all these kids went to the Blackhawk Outreach Center? Yes, okay. they're all there. So, so far we're mentioning Corey and Sarah. And yes, they're both at the Blackhawk outreach center so tony is feeling that like sarah is a bit of a thug maybe a bit of a misfit he said she was dressed entirely in black she had piercings joanne would describe her style as goth which was something that adrian was not into well you know it's one of those things that when you send your kids to a place where they need to you know a place where people just try to get by into their ged there's going to be other kids that are in the same situation who are probably you know not in the best family situations right. or trying to fight against things or like you know they couldn't cut it at a regular high school this mm-hmm. is like the super like you know high security high school basically so you're gonna find other, it's like going to jail and getting more hookups for drugs and guns and stuff it's like oh i'm glad i went to jail because now i get all these different contacts right they're meeting these sort of people at this place right like you said people that couldn't hack it in just a traditional classroom setting and not that there's any no. judgment against that but it's a it's something to think about So, you know, Joanne and Tony at this point are feeling like Adrian just wanted friends. She had the personality of just wanting to be friends with everyone. Sarah was described as a popular girl. It was said that Corey followed her around like a puppy. He was absolutely in in love with her. Mm. So Sarah and Corey were both fans of the band, the Insane Clown Posse. Oh, no. God, no. And I'm sorry if anybody's, uh, (laughs) any listeners are big fans of the ICP. But man, these... uh... I do not know any of their songs. Well, they're, what's interesting about Insane Clown Posse, they have their own like group, and they call each other Juggalos and mm-hmm. Jugettes or whatever, 
And they are, I mean, if you're in the group, you're, you're well-loved. Like, you have a close-knit of people that are, like, kind of outfits or outcasts from society. But, like, you go to these concerts together, and you're just, like, with your own people. Mm-hmm. But, man, if you, like, try to do them wrong or something, like, I, there's, like, probably murders or stuff. Like, it's, it's bad stuff. So, it's almost like a gang. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> a, a gang of, like, misfits. So, if you're not familiar, the Insane Clown Posse, or like Mike said, ICP, they're an American hardcore hip-hop duo, and again, their fan base, these people that really follow them along, are called the Juggalos. And just so you know, um, they're two like fat white dudes, so you you would picture, you know, maybe somebody else, but I, they are two fat white yeah, guys. Yeah, I did see their picture. <laughs> So and they, they paint themselves like clowns. Sarah and Corey consider themselves juggalos. Sarah had dark streaks in her hair. She had multiple face piercings. She was said to have a big attitude. Like Adrian, she also struggled in school. Corey was described as shy and soft-spoken and felt that Sarah was the one person he could be him, his true self around. Initially, they were romantically involved. This was very short-lived. By the time the story is taking place, Sarah had already ended that, that part of the relationship, moved on to dating new people. Regardless, Corey remained enthralled with Sarah. And like, so he's enthralled with Sarah, even though Adrian is his girlfriend? No, he's not dating Adrian. Oh, not just a no, friend. No, they're just okay, talking. Got it, they're got meeting it. and talking. Okay. So she had a new boyfriend, Sarah did, but she maintained her close friendship with Corey and he harbored an ongoing love for her. The two were inseparable and they often skipped classes together to smoke weed. So many felt that Sarah thrived on being the center of attention. She loved the fact that she was able to openly date while continuing to receive this adoration from Corey. She loved that. She had her cake and she was eating it too. Sure, I get it. So it was Corey that introduced Adrian and Sarah. The two were said to have become instant friends. Corey began to feel jealousy as Sarah and Adrian's relationship progressed. They always say that a pair, like three is a crowd because one person's bound to feel left out. Sure. So that's kind of what was happening here. So Sarah is showing more attention to Adrian. Things kind of started to turn a little romantic between Adrian and Sarah. The two were writing letters to each other. You know how it is in high school. You're always exchanging notes. And they did begin to discuss Sarah's bisexual status and Adrian's bi-curiousness. So Sarah's group of friends at uh, this time, they rented a house in Rock Island So this place quickly, obviously, with a bunch of teenagers, is turning into a party spot. Mm -hmm. So one night, Sarah brought Adrian to the house and told her that she was cool with Adrian hooking up with someone that night, which it's like, oh, thank you so much for your permission. I'll do what I damn well please, Sarah. (laughs) You're not my keeper. Right. So that she obviously is very controlling. She also spread the word around that Adrian was there to get some action. That's what she's telling the people at the party. As the party continued, Adrian complained of a headache. She was offered to lie down in the basement away from the noise. After she was directed to a bedroom, another boy named Corey, this is a different Corey, this is Corey with a K, was sent down to check on her. Only days after the party, Adrian's character was dragged through the mud and disparaging names were spread around school to describe Adrian. It was clear that these issues were stemming from Sarah, which was very confusing to Adrian because she's getting two messages. You can go be free, hook up with whoever, but yet you're a slut for doing so. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can't win in this situation. No. 
So Adrian was just trying to smooth things over again. She just wants a calm high school life. She just wants to be friends. And it seemed that the more Sarah was pushing her away, the harder Adrian was trying. So in the meantime, Joanne and Tony were noticing changes in Adrian. They were concerning to them. Her apparent her appearance was changing, basically starting to match Sarah's style. Sure. And her attitude was becoming more unpleasant. She'd even made some types of hints of suicide. Adrian was taken to a counselor and prescribed medication. Things did seem to settle down. Adrian's confidence seemed to be returning. Adrian's relationship with Corey is also beginning to grow, and the two were talking on the phone and sharing notes with each other. So two months into the new school year, or I shouldn't say the new school year, but Adrian's new time at the school, Tony, her dad, is feeling like things were going well. It was the evening of Thursday, January 20th, 2005, and Tony said goodnight to Adrian. He knew that he would be out the door at 4 a.m. He wouldn't see her in the morning. He was driving a truck during the day. So they said, I love you, and Tony headed to bed. The next morning was Friday, January 21st, and Joanne woke Adrian up for school. She asked her if she was working that evening, and Adrian said, yeah, she was scheduled at Checkers at 5 p.m. So, you know, they went about their business. Joanne went and did her thing. I think she must have been working. Adrian went off to school. Excuse me. So when school ended and 5 p.m. was approaching, Joanne came home. She realized that Adrian had never come home. Normally, she would be home at noon. I guess that's when that Blackhawk outreach program ended. She would complete her chores. She would then head to work for her shift at 5. It was clear she had not been home to change because her checkers uniform was untouched on her bed. So Tony said that despite the fact that his daughter was not an angel by any means, she always came home from school. She never just didn't show up and didn't go to work. That was not like her. So, of course, they're becoming concerned at this point. So they drove over to Checkers. Adrian, just like they suspected, she had not shown up for her shift. So after calling Joanne or after Joanne and Tony called around to friends that she could possibly be with, you know, nobody had seen her. It was 8 p.m. at this point. Joanne and Tony decided to contact the police to report her missing. The police considered the possibility that Adrian could be a runaway. Obviously, they're hearing about the fact that she she's rebellious. Had Tony Joanne and Joanne contacted Sarah and Corey? It's not. They they did ultimately talk to her. Yes. Okay. So it's it's not a, entirely clear at what point they did speak. And to And they her. said, no, I haven't seen her. Yes. Got it. So they, she said, I had seen her, but I, I dropped her off and, and we'll get into all of that. Okay. So again, of course, the police are thinking, you know, the possibility that she's a runaway. Tony is saying, yes, I do realize it, but this isn't like Adrian. I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, she's the challenge sometimes, but she wouldn't do this basically. And like they, they know her character. It's mm-hmm. like, just, just trust me, this wouldn't happen. That and paired with the fact that she hadn't gotten her paycheck at work and she had taken none of her belongings with her. Mm. Just didn't make sense. Paychecks are what it's all about, man. Like mm-hmm. A hard worker, you know, you know, they're going to want that paycheck. And it's January in Illinois. It's, it's cold and, you know, none of her things are missing so when kids at school were spoken with they informed police that adrian left school that day at lunchtime with sarah Corey, and another boy police called sarah to see if she had seen adrian she said yes i had seen her that day between about 12 30 and 1 she said that adrian hadn't wanted to be dropped off at home so they dropped her off at the nearby mcdonald's indicating that she didn't want her parents to see her riding in a car with a boy She also indicated that there was another occasion where Adrian told her parents that Corey was just Sarah's brother. 
Sarah said that McDonald's was right across the street from where Adrienne lived and she hadn't heard her or seen her since she dropped her off there. So Sarah suggested the idea that Adrienne could have run away. She voiced concerned about her friend. She asked police if they would please contact her if they heard anything. Tony spoke with police and said that it was true, <clears throat> excuse me, that he did not approve of Adrian riding around with just some strange boys, but the story just didn't make sense. Tony was never, ever home from work at noon. So she'd be totally safe. Yes. And, and she, he knows that Adrian knows that there would be no reason for her to worry that if she was dropped off at home at the noon one o'clock time that he would be there to even see it. And her friends would know that, too. And, you know, your friends get to know when you can get away with mm-hmm. stuff or whatever. Right. So, you know, he wouldn't be home from work for hours. He's like, these are, you know, these kids maybe, you know, aren't fit for a regular high school or whatever, but <laughs> they are, they're smart enough to know that I wouldn't be home. Right. So this wouldn't be a problem. He said that his daughter was well aware of the fact that he does not come home from work that early. And this idea started to scare him because he said these, these stories aren't making sense to me. You're covering something. Something's going on here. So Tony and Joanne drove around. They were searching the streets for any sign of Adrian. They were desperately trying to find her. Tony did not believe Sarah's story. He felt that she dropped her. If she had dropped her off, she would be there. As they drove, they talked. They began to wonder if Adrian's disappearance had something to do with Sarah and Corey, especially since only days earlier, she had confided in Joanne about her interest in Corey and voiced that she was worried that this would be a problem for Sarah. Joanne said that Adrian told her that she had to conceal her friendship with Corey from Sarah in fear that she would become jealous. Man, I mean, right away, if I had a kid that was mixed up with people in the insane clown posse crowd, they're not like dangerous, you know, murderers. You know, that's not what they're known for. But it's it's an interesting thing where like you're allowed to be whatever you want to be and like anything is accepted so even if you are a murderer they accept you like it's just kind of because you're a member of the juggalos so it's like that that whole group just generally is going in the a direction you don't want to be going now let me ask you this are they based on hate or no just anything um really it's about love for each other which is interesting. Well, right? Okay, fine. Love for each other. What about people who aren't Juggalos? Yeah. Do we hate people who are different from that? I don't want to speak for the Juggalos, but um, I believe it's just like, it's more just inward. Like, we just love each other. If you make fun of us, yeah, we're going to back one of our own, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, otherwise, just leave us alone. Everything's cool. You know, it's not yeah. like going around, you know, smashing cars with people who aren't. It isn't like that. It's more just celebrating each other. Okay. Leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. Got it. So, you know, not only that, but the fact that if I heard my daughter telling me about like this controlling girl, it's like, wait a second, she's not even dating him. Why is she claiming her stake over him? I'm like, I we always say to our kids, Isn't it, it sounds like somebody you really don't want to be spending time with. And it's so easy to look back, you know, and think, oh, of course, you know, we can all get sucked into some kind of bad relationship like this. I know you had a bad relationship, you know, with a, a somebody. Friend. Yeah. And I, I probably did, too. I can't remember any, but I'm sure I did. And it's just you, you you look back and you're like, holy shit, how did I get in this situation? Right. And how did I let it get so far? Yeah. Like I dealt with this controlling friend who, I mean, she was awful. She would call me fat all the time. Then when I lost weight, she had problems with that. If I was happy, she wasn't happy. If I was upset, she was happy. She hated our relationship in she high school. tried to break us up. It was not until I turned about close to 18 that I realized like a light bulb went off. I was like, what am I doing? 
doing? And you're a smart, like you're one of the smartest, like most driven people I know, like anywhere. I'm not just saying that because you're my wife, but like for somebody like you to fall under that, like anybody, it's possible any of our kids or any of your friends could fall into something like this. Right. And, you know, it just took for me. And that's the whole point of becoming an adult is finding your own way. You know, as a parent, you want to give your kid advice, but they have to make their own mistakes in order to learn and grow. So I am not placing any blame on Tony and Joanne. All of this is happening very quickly. And there's a lot you don't know with teenagers. You got to give them their own space. You got to let them make their own decisions. You got to let them fail on their own. And obviously, Adrian was trusting Joanne because she was opening up to her and telling her these things. Yeah, And, you know, it's... Tony and and Joanne are feeling like clearly Sarah is the type of girl that wants to be in control of every situation. That's the way I see it too. So it would eventually be discovered that Corey learned early on that Sarah was a very controlling person. He actually liked that. He liked that she would take control of the situation. And, you know, he felt that this aspect was an important part of their friendship. He said that he met Sarah at the mall. They ended up smoking weed behind Gordman's department store. From there, they began began hanging out every day. Corey had previously been a good student, a fun-loving boy. By sophomore year, he had become heavily involved in pot, heavy metal music, and Sarah Kolb. And those that knew him felt that this consumed the boy that he once was. That's too bad. I mean, it's not the pot and the heavy metal music. You know, I know I knew plenty of people in high school that were into both and very good students. This one guy, Paul, uh, Paul K. He was the smartest guy I knew, totally into pot and heavy metal and everything. So we're not saying anything about that. But just it shows you get involved with the wrong crowd. Right. And then you your, start priorities, changing. your priorities are different. <clears throat> and you know how teenagers can be chameleons. They just want to form into who their friends are. So he, you know, in turn is now becoming sullen, withdrawn, even sometimes violent. So Corey said that he was attracted to the way that Sarah dressed. He loved her baggy pants, her black band shirts. They dated, but only for a few weeks. And of course, Sarah is the one that ended it. And she's like, no, we're not. We're not dating anymore, but you can hang out still. You can still be a puppy dog. I'm sure she made out with him every once in a while. You know, that whole thing. Just trying to string him along. Yes. She knew she had him. And, you know, she maintained that she just wanted to be friends. So Sarah eventually convinced Corey to transfer to her school, where she had the reputation of being a very angry girl. She made a journal entry saying, it seems as if everyone is driving me crazy and all I want to do is slaughter them like the effing sheep that they are. Hey, uh, quick update. If y- if everybody's the a-hole everywhere you go, mm-hmm. guess what? You're the a-hole. Who's the common denominator in this? <laughs> yeah. So Corey said that Sarah wasn't angry about anything in particular, but she had an anger problem and she got mad over the smallest things. He said that when she was upset, she was off the wall. She would scream and throw things. So Corey's parents are Bert and Teresa Gregory. They never witnessed Sarah's anger firsthand, but they did worry about how infatuated their son had become with Sarah. And, you know, despite her ending the romantic relationship, he's still following her along as if they're dating. So it's kind of like you say, well, what are you getting out of this relationship, you know? Yeah. 
So Teresa said that Corey desperately wanted to be Sarah's boyfriend and likely just thought if he hung in there long enough, she would come around to the idea. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. It's just like someday she'll she'll change and that'll be she'll you know, see we'll be the together. light. Yeah. Plus, you get to like be with them and smell them and you know all that stuff and just kind of hold their. I'm sure she held his hand once in a while and be like, oh, I'm getting whatever. Help me with this. And then it, you know you get those butterflies. You're like, eh. yeah, for a person that you're like infatuated with. It's a shitty situation for yeah. Corey. That that hurts. Yeah. So Teresa, Corey's mom, said that he was exceptionally loyal to Sarah. So Corey expressed his feelings towards Sarah in a letter. He wrote, I love you. I have since I have since the first I first laid eyes on you. You are all I think about. You are the only one I feel I could speak my emotions to. And I want you to know I will always be there for you. I'm sure she loved that. It's yeah, I'm I'm sure she kept it and looked at it all the time, just like, oh, just one of my many men. Like a power trip. Yeah. Adrian's arrival in November of 2004 disrupted this relationship. When Sarah and Adrian wrote to each other, they began asking innocent get-to-know-you questions like, what is your favorite color? What is your favorite band? Sarah said that she liked the color purple and she liked heavy metal music. They discussed dating each other and the sexual tension was obvious. Adrian asked Sarah in a letter, what is the most you have ever done with a girl? Are you bisexual or are you straight lesbian? Adrian implied that she was bisexual. This was something that Tony hadn't known about his daughter. Um, After the house party in December, the relationship crumbled. This is when Sarah started to become really outspoken and nasty, spreading things around school about Adrian. And maybe Adrian just said those things to make Sarah like her more. You know, who knows? Who knows? Maybe she was, you know, teenage times are an interesting time. You're finding yourself. Yeah. So, you know, it was obvious that Sarah was jealous that Adrian was getting attention from other boys. Corey believes it was also because she wanted her, she herself wanted Adrian's attention. So it's like she just wants it all. Well, with Sarah, you know that she's the queen bee. So if you're not treating her like she's number one and, uh, you know, asking her if you can make out with certain people, then you got a problem. Ugh, Sounds gosh. like Sarah sucks. If you tell me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. I mean, that's just how my personality is. I can confirm that. Yeah. So upset by the rejection, Corey said that Adrian called Sarah every day in order to repair the friendship, but she would just pick pick up the phone. She would either yell at her or just simply hang up. On December 15th, Adrian wrote and asked Sarah why she didn't talk to her anymore. And on December 30th, she wrote saying that Sarah was just looking for a way just not to be her friend. Joanne and Tony were completely unaware of these letters, but Joanne did know that Sarah was bad mouthing and even sometimes threatening Adrian around school. So not surprising. Yeah. Joanne said that Adrian told her that she was scared of Sarah and said that there had been a lot of fighting at school. Sarah would yell at her and tell her to commit suicide. Mm, nice person. Sweetheart. Mm-hmm, real doll. So Adrian continued to write, pleading with Sarah to allow them to just start over and be friends. Why do you hate me so much? Why do you want me to die? She just couldn't understand like where this hate was coming from. She just wanted to understand it. And the human psyche is, as you're being pushed away, you want the other thing more. I know. So it, which is interesting how we are as humans. Like if you're told you can't have something, then all of a sudden you kind of want that thing more. Right. And that's what Sarah really just loved. And like, I mean, she was absolutely loving this situation. Right she now. loved it. So Corey indicated that he and Adrian had only kissed a couple of times. He said that when Sarah found out she got mad, she hung up on him. Corey talked with his mom about this whole situation. She stressed that he was not dating her and she had absolutely no right to tell him who he could and could not be friends with. The next day, Corey and Sarah made up, 
but she remained furious at Adrian and wrote about it in her journal, which was this day that Adrian disappeared. This is Friday, January 21st, 2005. So she wrote, stupid B needs to back off my Kool-Aid. She's going to give him a note. Yeah, well, I will effing kill her. In contrast to what she wrote, Sarah ended up being very nice to Adrian that day at school. So what ended up happening was she invited her to lunch. And then this is where she said after lunch, she dropped her off at the McDonald's. She didn't see her again. Quote, unquote. Mm -hmm. So that's her story. So Corey wasn't surprised by this whole situation because he felt that Sarah is the type of person that will hate you one day and be friends with you the next. He's just like, oh, this is my entire life. (laughs) What an absolute nightmare. (laughs) Hey, welcome. It's like, you know, those people that you say you have no idea what to expect of their mood. It's like the weather. One day they're like happy and nice. The next we live. I live next door to a girl like that in the dorms. It's just a nightmare. It's like you're coming up to this boiling pot. Like, is it going to bubble over? No. Is it safe today? Oh, okay. Hey, how's it going? And, you know, people like to know what to expect. So it's very unstable when you have no idea which side of the coin you're going to get. So Sarah was born into a military family. They frequently moved around. In 1996, while she was living in Idaho, her parents divorced, and Sarah returned to Illinois with her mom. As Sarah moved into her teenage years, her relationship with her mom was very strained. Um, You know, her attitude is very difficult. She's just angry. Her defiance is growing. Her mom remarried, and Sarah did not get along with her stepdad. She rarely saw her own biological father, who stayed in Idaho. Sarah had a very erratic personality, and those that knew her realized that she could be capable of saying, I want to marry you, and I want to murder you in the same breath. Any, like, history of abuse or anything? No, nothing like that. So probably some mental disorders of some sort. I would assume so. Very, I mean, you could, I'm not a psychologist, but it seems very unstable and bipolar. Yeah. She often both spoke and wrote about the violence that she wished to inflict on others, because obviously I've mentioned she has a journal. So police tried to piece together the hours before Adrian went missing and continued to speak with Sarah and Corey, knowing that these were the two last known people to have seen her. It's like, listen, everything comes back to you. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can say whatever you want, but you're the last people and something happened. So Right. And of course, in their mind, they're like, well, yes, something must have happened to her after we dropped her off. Yeah, we told you at the McDonald's. We're all done. So when police spoke with Sarah about her relationship with Adrian, she replied, to be honest, no, I don't like her. She explained the rocky relationship and the officer tried to understand why she would give her a ride and invite her to lunch if she didn't like her. That doesn't make sense. Sure. So she explained that she invited her to lunch so that they could discuss their issues. She, Adrian Corey, and a friend named Scott McKittrick got into Sarah's car and after she said she had just dropped her off at McDonald's. When police spoke with Corey, he told the exact same story, but added one additional detail. He said that Adrian and Sarah had argued during the trip. From there, he said that they dropped her off at McDonald's and quickly ended his phone call with the police. So he, they did get some more information from Corey. And he like basically hung up on them mm-hmm. after that. So you know you're getting somewhere. Right. As a detective, you're like, okay, we're going to work on this kid a little bit more. Yep. So when police spoke to Sarah again, she admitted to leaving that detail out of the story. She said she feared it would make them look bad. When pressed for additional details, Sarah claimed that they argued over notes that Adrian had passed to Corey and confessed that she liked him and wanted to hang out with him without Sarah. That's what Adrian had wrote to Corey. She's like, hey, I'd like to be friends with you outside of Sarah. How about that idea? Mm Mm-hmm. 
According to Sarah, this was something that both she and Corey did not want to happen. After continued questioning, Sarah admitted the verbal argument had turned physical and a few punches were exchanged until they came to a resolution that Adrian would stay away from both her and Corey. She said that they dropped her off at McDonald's. That was the end of it. So punches were exchanged and they dropped her off. So we're getting more and more information on each conversation. So you're like, so you two got to fist fighting and then you got in the same car right afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah, Keep going. It sounds like she was saying that they got into the fist fight while in the car. Okay. So meanwhile, the weekend went by. There was still no sign of Adrian. On Sarah's next questioning, she arrived at the station with her mom and a lawyer and repeated her version of events. Police suspected that she knew far more, but let her go because there still wasn't enough evidence to hold her at that point. On Tuesday, January 25th, Corey came in with his lawyer for questioning. He repeated his story. Based on his body language, police felt that if anyone was going to crack, it was going to be Corey. So just like a recent episode we did, they're going to set their sights on Corey because he's going to be the one to break and tell all. Yeah, you're turning the heat up on this guy. Mm -hmm. So basically, he said that, okay, so he leaves. He's in for questioning. He leaves. But only, yes, only hours later, Corey's dad, Bert, called the station again. He said, we're coming back in. This time, Corey began crying hysterically as his parents tried to understand what happened. Well, his dad's like, this girl's not worth your entire life. If you know anything, you come clean and then you are off the record. Like That's, maybe yeah. you might, I mean, you might go to jail for six months, but like it's better than going down with this chick, man. Mm-hmm. Get out. So he broke down and repeated, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Bert asked Corey if something happened in the car and he nodded his head. Yes. Bert asked if she had gotten hurt in the car. He nodded yes. When he asked if she had got hurt bad, he, Corey said, really, really a lot. When Bert asked if she was dead, his son shook his head yes. So when he asked where she was, he could not speak. Bert called his ex-wife, Teresa, and said, hey, you need to get over here. Uh, you slap him in the face, be like, quit being a little like baby. Tell us what's going on. We're not asking questions about everything now. Speak as a man. Be a man. man step up to the plate and say what's that, what happened. That has to be so horrifying as a parent. I, I would like, I'd be so, fr- I'm frustrated right now. You can hear it. Like, d- I'm not going to be asking you little baby questions. Just speak. But like, can you imagine dawning on you that your son is involved in, in somebody's murder? Oh, uh, no, I couldn't. So when Teresa arrived, she could only just cry and hug her son as he again repeated, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Through the shaking and crying, Bert could also see relief in his son that he was no longer holding in what had happened. Corey told police that he wasn't even really thinking about himself and instead worrying about losing Sarah. I mean, that's how deep that this obsession with Sarah goes. He's not even thinking about his own life. He's just wanting to protect this girl. What what happened? So we're going to hear it all. So at this point, he began to tell police what happened the day that Adrian disappeared. On Friday, January 21st, 2005 at noon, Sarah invited Adrian to lunch at Taco Bell. The group of four pulled away from school in Sarah's red four-door Geo Prism. Sarah was driving and Adrian was in the passenger seat while Corey and their friend Scott was in the back seat. As they drove, Sarah verbally confronted Adrian and basically demanded that she back off her territory. 
The argument escalated and Adrian argued back. She indicated that she was free to do whatever the hell she liked. Good for you, Adrian. So as they pulled into Taco Bell, the argument turned physical. At this point, Scott, who was in the back passenger seat, he's like, I'm out. He wanted nothing to do with this whole situation. He got out of the car. He left. He is done from this whole situation. Probably the smartest person in, you know, in this uh, backseat of the oh, car. Oh, fantastic that he made that decision. Corey said that Sarah grabbed a wooden stick that she keeps in the car for her protection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Random. Uh, that's very random. And so they continued to fight and wrestle. They eventually moved to the back seat. Corey said as the fight got more violent, he moved to the front passenger seat. Sarah was on top of Adrian, choking her until she passed out. Sarah got out of the car and moved to the front seat and smoked a cigarette with Corey. Corey believed that Adrian was passed out at this point and said they were basically just waiting for her to wake up. When they finally looked back, they saw that Adrian's face was blue and they began to panic, realizing that she was dead. Oh, my God. So this took place in the parking lot of Taco Bell in the midst of a busy afternoon. But because it was a cold winter day, the windows of the car were fogged up. Outsiders had no idea what was happening in the car. Sure. So when Corey told Sarah that she killed Adrian, she continued to deny that she was dead. Finally, she said she needed him to help her hide the body, and he agreed. Ugh. That gets him. Yep. He said that he did not consider calling anyone because he cared too much about Sarah and did not want to see her go to jail. So he followed all the instructions she gave him. They moved Adrian's body to the trunk, which I don't know at what point, because it's not like when you're sitting in the Taco Bell parking lot, you can just take a girl's body out and stick it in the trunk without people noticing. Sure. So I'm not sure when that happened. So it was Sarah's idea to drive to his her grandparents' farm. There they wrapped Adrian's body in a tarp. They planned to bury her body until these dumbasses realized, hmm, it's January 21st. The ground is frozen. Yeah, it's going to be hard to dig. So Corey indicated at that point they moved on to plan B. He poured gasoline on the tarp and used uh. a butane lighter to set Adrian's body on fire. He said that he and Sarah stood away and Sarah cried on his shoulder as he comforted her. And he, you know, it, it's sickening, but this is like probably giving him good feelings. You know, like I'm doing this for my girl and she's going to want me after this and stuff. And, and just, it's bringing us closer together. Yeah, gross. So he said that since they couldn't bury her body and this is so messed up, the only proper thing to do was cremate it. Sure. It's like, yeah, sure. You're so compassionate. You've got all your chi- all, all your chickens in a row here. Police said they absolutely doubted this and indicated that they were the only reason why you're burning her is to try to hide the evidence sure. so that you won't get caught. Corey said they felt bad at the time and felt that this was the proper thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, dumbasses, a cremation doesn't just occur like that. So now they're like, oh, geez, plan B's not working. Yeah, but the, the bodies, there's still a lot, a lot left here. Well, if you knew, like, bodies cremate over the course of, like, however many long hours. And really, really high heat. Yes. So they're realizing her body just isn't turning to ash. And now they have to figure out a plan C. So it, this is just getting really ugly. So he said that they are talking and Sarah says, I, we have to get Adrian's body off my grandparents' land. So he asked, she asked Corey to dismember Adrian's body. And, and he Corey, he refused. Okay. He said, though, that he did think of one of their friends. 
which I mean, what uh, what kind of people are you hanging out with? You don't want to be that person that gets called when somebody needs dismemberment. I mean, that is like That's truly sickening. sickening and messed up. Yeah. So he, what comes to mind for him is 16-year-old Nate Gaudet, who is into blood and gore. They said that he is the type of kid who would go around killing animals. Hmm, good person. Yeah, hang out with him. So Sarah called him, figuring that he would help. The next day, Sarah had to work a shift at the local movie theater and couldn't go back to the scene of the crime until Sunday. And obviously, Sarah's a complete idiot. Uh, I mean, in a, in a psychopath. Um, but you don't get more people involved in this murder. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the worst thing to do. Uh, but luckily, you're stupid. So good. So it's Saturday now and she's working, but at some point they picked Nate up. They spoke with him about what the plan was. He agreed to help and was told to bring a saw. The next day they got Nate and as they drove, they tried to distract themselves and talk about music. When they got to the farm, Nate dismembered Adrian's body. Again, this is a 16-year-old. That's sickening. I mean, I don't know what could be going on in this person's head. Just be like, yeah, okay. Oh, I'll you, do it. You have a somebody that I probably know or have at least heard of. You want me to dismember them? Yeah, okay, we'll do it. And during this time, Sarah and Corey stood by laughing over jokes. Yeah, I mean, sick. wow. They dumped most of her remains in a ravine on the property and covered them with branches. Corey held open a trash bag as Nate placed Adrian's head and arms inside. Uh. Oh my gosh, this is just so sick. They placed the bags in Sarah's trunk and drove to McDonald's to eat. Yeah. Corey ordered a double cheeseburger, by the way. That's what police were like. You were able to eat? They specifically said, like, what did you order? <laughs> right. And he explained, well, you know, it, we were high at the time, so we were hungry. So yeah. that's why we stopped. Ugh. After their lunch date, they drove to a park called Black Hawk Historic Site, and they looked for a place to bury the bag that contained Adrian's head and arms. They feared that these remains could positively be identified to belonging to Adrian, so they really wanted to hide them. Corey said that Nate held the bag in one hand and concealed a shovel in the other under his trench coat and ran through the woods. As they ventured on, they noticed a manhole and felt that this would be a good place to dispose of the bag because I'm not quite sure why they have a shovel because if the ground was frozen at the farm, the ground will also be frozen here. Yeah, I was wondering where this was going. You complete idiots. So, you know, ultimately they find this manhole and they put her remains in there. Well, manholes go somewhere. Yeah. So Corey agreed to take the police to this location And at 11 p.m., four days after Adrian disappeared, Corey led police down a steep, icy path, and under a pile of dirt, police did discover this manhole cover, and several feet below, they located the bag. Wow. So police called Adrian's parents at 2 a.m. and informed them that they were at their front door. Joanne said that her stomach dropped as soon as, you know, they got this call. Tony felt that the world just changed to slow motion. He said it was the worst feeling he had ever experienced. Well, it's like the whole world goes in black and white or something, and you're just like without somebody that you love dearly. So sad. The next morning, Corey took police to the farm where Adrian's body had been buried and her other remains had been hidden. It wasn't until the following day that Adrian's family learned about the dismemberments. Mm. And... This was the same day that Adrian, or I'm sorry, that Sarah and Corey were arrested. So this was February 1st, 2005. 
Tony said that he had never cried more in his life. Learning that his daughter had been murdered was absolutely horrific, but hearing what happened after was really the hard part. I mean, it's just disgustingly horrible how horrible of a situation <sighs> your sweet daughter was in. And to think that this is the hands at the hands of two 16-year-olds and a 17-year-old. Like, you can't fathom it, that this could ap- actually happen. Mm-hmm. So the medical examiner could not conclusively determine the cause of her death, but findings were completely compatible with strangulation because obviously she had been torn apart afterwards right so well i mean it makes you feel maybe a little better that she was you know didn't feel any of that extra stuff right but i mean but still, to think about what she went through it's just horrific yeah Corey's parents were horrified and could not wrap their heads around how he could have disconnected his feelings in order to do such a thing and, you know, especially such a gruesome act, they said it was not like Corey at all. They could not understand how this had happened. Well, you you look back and think like, man, if we just would have not let him go to this high school, none of this would have happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can question anything. It's just it, it, sometimes life just happens. And right. You got to deal with it. And Teresa feels that if anyone says something like this could never happen to their son, they're fooling themselves because no one is exempt from this kind of horror since teenagers are at a place where they're trying to find themselves in life. It's like, yeah, teenagers are trying to find themselves in lives. I don't think like this is a normal part of that situation. Uh, no, but I mean, it happens. I mean, she's she's right. You know, you, you can never say it'll never happen. I mean, you never know. I guess not. So police went back to the story of how Corey said that Adrian was murdered. He said that Sarah choked her. He said that he sat up front smoking and looking out the window. Adrian's father does not believe this for a second, and he feels that there's no way Sarah could have just done this by herself in the backseat, and that Corey's just innocently sitting there smoking a cigarette. So Um, it's their belief that because he is so loyal to Sarah that he joined in to help. Yeah, I guess I can see that um i don't know i'm I'm curious to see where this goes so on october 31st 2005 sarah went to trial after pleading not guilty and adrian's parents were there every single day trying to just see an ounce of remorse for what she had done joanne said that she had a permanent smirk on her face as if to say here i am tony said that she never once made eye contact with them they said they described her as just cold as ice not a big surprise Sarah took the stand on her own defense and only admitted that she pulled Adrian's hair. She said that Corey had been the one who had snapped and began to attack Adrian without warning. Out of nowhere, he said, she is not one of us, Sarah, and began to choke her with his belt around her neck. So she said that he threatened to kill Sarah, her family, and even her cats if she didn't help with the concealment. Corey testified that Sarah strangled Adrian with the belt. So now this belt is coming into play. Yeah, you should be able to find out, you know, via evidence if this is true. It's believed that Sarah was the leader and that she was motivated by jealousy and Corey was motivated by his love for Sarah. More than 50 witnesses were called to the stand. One was a bystander from the parking lot of the Taco Bell who did notice this red geoprism bouncing up and down, moving back and forth. Again, its fogged windows could not allow him to see in. He was unable to see inside, but wrote the scene off to teenage shenanigans. He's like, whatever, I'm going to get my burrito supreme. I would too. Maybe kids are just trying to get attention. And you, know, I used to do that. You parked your car and just like rock your car back and forth or whatever. It's like, I don't want to get involved. Yeah. Be whatever. Kids do being kids. Uh, November 15th, 2005, after 15 hours d- of deliberation, Sarah's trial resulted in a hung jury since one of the 12 jurors 
thought that she was innocent. Oh, you dickhead juror. But during... Gosh, she's at least in, guilty of something. Right? You know, oh, come on. A hundred percent. I mean, that day she wrote in her journal, I'm going to effing kill her. That's insane. I mean, I guess it's a whole beyond a shadow of a doubt. But yeah, I mean, let's let's all be serious. Sarah's a bad person. She doesn't need to be out in public here. Like, let's put her in jail for a long time. Anything that she's around, anybody... She's going to affect them negatively. Mm-hmm. Let's get let's get her out of society for a few years. So she had a retrial in February of 2006, and there she was convicted of murder and concealing a homicide. She was sentenced to a 50-year um, sentence in prison, 48 years for her for the murder, and five for concealing a homicide. Okay. But now, any so what was she not charged for in that first one where there was a hung jury and how could they retry her probably for a different charge? well yeah because one of the jurors did not feel she was guilty oh so it's like it's kind of it's not saying not guilty it's just saying no no decision right okay. exactly yes so nate Gaudette pleaded guilty to concealing a homicide and nate casually told the jury about his role he said he was just there to help some friends yeah nice guy he was charged as a juvenile and was sentenced to up to five years. He was released on November 11th, 2008. He was 23 years at the, or 23, I'm sorry, 20 at the time that he was released. I mean, he's going to have, has problems. Oh, I mean, this person has to be a psychopath. Yeah. And now you say what you will, you know, in his mind, he was just taking care of something that was, you know, this just, unfortunately, Adrian was already gone at this point. So you hope that just his like strange fascination is just that part, you know, and he's not going to go after and try to do it to somebody, but I don't know. Well, regardless, three years later at age 23 on April 16th, 2012, Nate was in the car with two other men when their car struck a tree in Indiana. They were all killed and burned beyond recognition in the car. So, I mean, very yeah, sad, but... Corey pleaded guilty to murder and concealment and received forty-five year, a 45-year sentence. Wow. Pleaded yeah. guilty to murder. He did. He apologized to Adrian's family during the trial, though maintained that he did not kill her, admitting only to holding the belt that Sarah placed around her neck. Okay, so you did kill her. So he said that after she was dead, he said, it wasn't really tight. I was just holding it in my hand. I thought she was dead, so it really didn't make a difference that I was holding the belt. So, I mean, that really implicated his guilt. Well, he's also starting to have just a little bit more and just a little bit more to the story. There's more that he's not telling people. And he said he was so used to doing whatever Sarah wanted that he just simply wanted to help his friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, forget anything you know in your brain that is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Dickhead. In 2012, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a ruling that was imposing a mandatory life sentence without the possibility of parole on a juvenile offender is considered to be unconstitutional and sentencing over 40 years for juveniles is considered a life sentence. So they were evaluating that whole situation. Um, In 2020, a judge denied Sarah's petition for a new sentence hearing. Corey Gregory now identifies as a female and goes by the name Harley Quinn. And she filed an appeal for a reduced sentence in 2022, but the original sentence was upheld and her projected date of release is July 26, 2047. Now that's interesting. Does uh, she get to go to a female facility? No. Now? Okay. She's maintained in an all-male facility. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's a curveball, I would say. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Sarah should never see the light of day. I mean, she's just a complete scumbag. And court, uh, whatever. Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn. So um, Sarah's appearance has also greatly changed. They did not ma- mention that she identifies as a male, but I will tell you, 
She has um, close cropped hair and a beard. So, I, you know, I don't know, but she's still identifying as Sarah Kolb. Regardless, um, according to the Illinois Department of Corrections website, Sarah's projected parole date is July 18th, 2053. Despite the sentencing, Tony knows that his daughter will never be coming home. He said that he runs often and every step of the way he thinks of his daughter. Tony and Joanne know that they can never bring Adrian back. They were very relieved to hear that Harley Quinn's sentence was upheld because they gave their daughter a life sentence. She will never be coming home. And they deserve, you know, according to Joanne and Tony, they deserve every single moment they spend behind bars. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this just goes to tell you any kids that are listening to this or parents of kids that are like into a group that might be going the wrong way. Like, it's very important to share this kind of story with them because poor Adrian got mixed up into these people. Corey, probably if he never met Sarah, he probably would have never murdered anybody in his life. No, because they did say that his personality greatly changed after he had met Sarah that fateful day at the mall and just something like that like just makes him a murderer that now he's in prison for the rest of his life basically basically you know he'll be in his or 60s sure. she, she her, when, when she is released she will be in her 60s right and you know where do you go from there when you've been in prison since you were 17 like you don't know how to live in the world yeah you know you're you're a child when you're put behind bars and now you're a 60 something year old getting released where do you go from there life's over basically. like you don't know how to function in the world sure but Man, it's 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 really important. Talk to your kids while you can, because life can change in a blink of an eye. It's so sad and terrible. And then you think of like Harley Quinn's parents, like Bert's like, I won't even be alive when my son or now daughter is released. It's yeah. it's a tragic situation. I mean, and the most tragic of, the, of all is that Adrian was an innocent bystander in this situation. All she wanted was friends. She was being strong and standing up for herself and then ends up getting murdered in a Taco Bell parking lot. Like, <laughs> that's not expected. You, you, you're you proud of your daughter. Like, yeah, you told her. But at the same time, this crazy Sarah, it just murders you because she thinks she's better or has you murdered, whatever the situation was. Right. Regardless, it resulted. Going <sighs> to Taco Bell for a conversation resulted in Adrian's death. And it's just beyond, like, comprehension how this happened. Yeah, I'm so sorry to Adrian's family. Yeah, it's just awful. Uh, well, at least they're gone. Not going to be ruining anybody else's lives, hopefully. Well, thank you for telling Adrian's story. Very important to hear. And again, parents and kids, if you're in the wrong group, not saying just stop, but like keep this in your mind. It is possible that this could happen. You know, that crazy friend that you think is just like kind of up for anything like that. That's what Sarah was. She was just like this the psychopath that you didn't know about quite yet. Well, she carried around a lot of anger and hate. It wasn't just Adrian that she wrote about wanting to kill. You know, she had so much anger inside of her, according to the things that people saw and what she wrote in her journal. I mean, and it's unfortunate that like that hate was just able to like churn around. I don't know. Like, obviously, she needed some desperate help. Yeah. Well, Thank you again for telling Adrian's story and um, thank you for listening, everybody out there. And we do want to say, if you want to listen to more episodes, you can become a patron uh, up to 30 episodes, depending on the level that you choose. And now we also have a a one year subscription level. So if you're a patron and want to save like 10% on your year, go ahead in there and say, I want to do a year instead of a month, which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool. So welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club to Audrey 
Angela, Taylor, and Jade. Jade is our first one-year um, subscription. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, thank so you so much, thank Jade. You all, thank you all. We appreciate much. each and every one of you. But if you do want to just support us and keep us going, Patreon you know, is kind of the way to go. And yep. we appreciate each and every one of you. And we will be back next week. And until next time, bye. bye.